type of thanksgiving in the Bible is thanking God for good things that are in good circumstances. All right, so you're thanking God for, for, for the good that's happened in your life over the last year, good things in good circumstances. This is, uh, I think, the kind of quintessential, as you're going around the Thanksgiving table, the quintessential things that people say, God, thank you for the new job, thank you for the pay raise, thank you for good health, thank you for family, thank you for friends. It's good things in good circumstances. You actually see this in Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness uh, for his name's sake. This is by and large at the beginning of the psalm, what the psalmist is talking about. Good things from God that are happening in good circumstances. But there's actually another another sense of thanksgiving, though, that, that you find all throughout the Bible. And I think it can be um, a, a, little bit, a little bit tricky. What I would call it is thanking God for good things in challenging circumstances. All right? And that's a whole other kind of genre, if you will, of psalm, a whole other genre. And th- they both have tricky components to them, right? Sometimes when you're thanking God for good things in good circumstances, the Bible talks about we can kind of feel like we brought the good things on ourselves by our good behavior or our good effort and, and that whole thing. And there's a whole other set of challenging things that come with thanking God for the good things that he's done in our challenging circumstances. And the psalmist in Psalm 23 actually goes on to describe uh, this type of thanksgiving, all right? So the first part of the psalm is good things in good circumstances, and then it transitions in verse four to even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the psalm kind of switches, and he begins to thank the good things that God has done in very challenging circumstances. God, thank you. You are with me. You're preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Man, God, you are filling my cup during this season. It's not like the psalmist is super geeked and excited about the circumstance, right? He's thankful to God for the good things God is doing through and in the difficult circumstances. See, sometimes when you're in the darkest valley, like the psalmist was starting in verse four, sometimes when you're facing evil or you're dealing with your enemies, I think sometimes it can feel like Thanksgiving's not for you. Right, that that you, you, maybe you feel like you don't have anything to be thankful about this, this year, but David finds a way to be thankful for good things in difficult circumstances. You comfort me in the darkest valley. You prepare a table. You sustain me. You anoint my head with oil. And for all of you here today, that, that you are, this has been a challenging year for you, and, and quite frankly, you feel like the end of 2017 can't come fast enough for you, like, I'd like to just kind of close the door on that and move on to, to 2018. I, I think Thanksgiving can be hard in, in years like that. And every one of us in this room have had years like that. I want to encourage you on, uh, before Christmas chaos ensues and before the end of the year ensues to really let's discipline our mind. Because this is a discipline. Discipline our mind to see the ways that God has been good to us this year in our challenging circumstances. Like, it, like I said, it's a discipline this doesn't flow naturally, right? 
Naturally, it's like, this has been a terrible year, this has been a tough year, I don't have anything to be thankful about. That's natural. Discipline is, well, it's been a challenging year, it's been a hard year, but I can see how God has sustained me, I can see how God has empowered me, I can see how God has helped me. It is seeing the good in challenging circumstances. And let me tell you, this will change the way you see your circumstances, it will change the way you see how God is working in your circumstances. It will change the way you react to your circumstances. And it can result in increased joy, hope, and, and, and peace for the future. So today's going to be a little bit different. Today, um, you're, you're going to hear uh, from uh, five, six, seven different people, uh, le- leaders here in our church, that they're going to express to you, like I just did, um, what they're thankful for and what they're thanking God for um, this year. And I first kind of saw this uh, model of, of, of sermon uh, at the North American Christian Convention that I went to this last year. And uh, they had one of the sessions, they just had like seven people uh, speak a, on a certain topic. And I found it just enormously helpful. And when I came back, I, I was very committed to trying it and I'm grateful that, that we had people that wanted to do that. So let me go ahead and pray. And uh, then I'm really eager for you to hear from a variety of people today, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for Thanksgiving. Um, God, we we wanna be thankful uh, when we see good things in good circumstances, and we wanna be thankful when we see good things in challenging circumstances. Um, We wanna wanna be a people uh, that that the Bible talks about that always come back uh, to you to say thank you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. I'm Brent Owen, and I wanted to uh, share with you this morning why I'm thankful for God's mercy. It was 26 years ago when Diane and I moved our family here to the Decatur area, and uh, prior to moving here, we had both been very active in a small congregation a couple hours north of here. And so uh, when we finally landed here at Northwest Christian Church as our new church family home, a much larger congregation from, than what we had come from, and uh, so it became very easy for me to uh, take on the notion that uh, there are plenty of people in the church, we'll let them do the, the work and I'll get uh, settled in with my new job and, and uh, we'll go from there. So. As time went on, naturally, job responsibilities kept growing, and I became more absorbed with uh, the work that I had to do there at, um, at my job. And so it became very easy for me to uh, become a faithful Sunday uh, attender at church and be comfortable with that. So over time, I, uh, as I look back now, the spirits leading for me became fainter and fainter and and uh, so I was doing a pretty good job of ignoring what God was calling me to do so um, even before Steve asked for us to uh, prepare something I was being led to uh, compare my journey with uh, Jonah and want to do a little parallel between his story and mine Reading from Jonah, um, verse, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and uh, cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up 
to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea that the ship, uh, that the ship was about to break up. <clears throat> now obviously Jonah had heard God's calling for what he wanted to do and in, this, in his case uh, he turned from what God wanted him to do and actually went the opposite way. For myself I'm not sure that I uh, heard God's uh, voice so clearly as what Jonah had here in this situation, but nonetheless, um, I was beginning to ignore what he was asking of me. So, going on then to verses 11 and 12, uh, um, so they, being the sailors on the ship that uh, Jonah had boarded, said to Jonah, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. Obviously Jonah recognized that he had disobeyed God and that because of that uh, he deserved to die. Obviously being thrown into a raging sea was going to create nothing but death for him. That would you know, had to be obvious to Jonah at that point. So he understood that his disobedience deserved death. And I'd have to say for myself, naturally, I wasn't quite so quick to, to acknowledge that fact that uh, my disobedience, you know, really should, should mean my death. But nonetheless, uh, uh, some comparison there. Then in verse 17 it says, uh, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Obviously God's hand was in this situation and that certain death to Jonah um, was averted by uh, God appointing a fish to swallow Jonah. That's uh, quite astounding in my mind that... Uh, you know, he had a specific fish in mind to do that. <clears throat> and while I can think of many times that I've been, quote unquote, in the stomach of a fish in the past 26 years, um, I also see that I was very quick in those situations rather than to see it an act of mercy on God's part, to see it as, well, how, you know, how bad can life get? Worse, you know, how much worse can life be than this? Much like being in the stomach of a fish, I would have been pretty quick to say, man, nothing can be much worse than this is. But actually, it was God's mercy uh, taking care of Jonah in that situation, and he was certainly taking care of me and mine. Going on to uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, uh, after Jonah had... Uh, um, said a prayer, he wrapped it up uh, in his prayer by saying, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And so uh, I'd have to say in my, as I look back in my situations as well that God did deliver me from some bad situations he protected me through um, um, many things, trying to get me back on course. A uh, few 
four points that I want to make from this in summary is that um, number one, many of us, no matter how large or small the command, are avoiding what God wants us to do. Uh, secondly, I do not have the right to be uh, to have a comfortable life. In other words, I'm not. No, God doesn't promise me to be born into a comfortable life, and His purpose then is to help me to remain comfortable. That's that's not what life is all about. We're here to serve God, <clears throat> and uh, He, uh, while I deserve death. Uh, by God's mercy, he continues to give me additional opportunities to follow his will. Number three, we may find ourselves in a situation or in the belly of a fish that compels us uh, to turn our, eyes, turn our eyes towards God and to um, uh, seek his will more uh, intently. And finally, I need to acknowledge God's mercy, seek his will, and allow him uh, to lead me through what he has for me to do. And so I would just simply ask here in conclusion that you join with me as I take one step at a time in trying to uh, uh, acknowledge God's mercy in my life and uh, continue to do his will. Morning. I'm Scott. And I love stories. I read tons of books. I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of Netflix. And, uh, and I do that because stories fascinate me. A good story can sneak past my defenses. It, it can sneak past my, my natural suspicion and, and my defensiveness and, uh, and can help me see what's true about my life and what's true about the world that I live in. And a great story can get under my skin and actually help me better understand something about God. Something about God's heart. Something about what God wants in my life and in this world. Great stories have the ability to do that. And I think that's why Jesus used stories a lot in his teaching. When his disciples asked him why he told stories, he said this, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. God uses stories to open our eyes to truths that are hard for us to accept. And that's why this Thanksgiving, I thank God for his stories. Because I know how stubborn I am and how difficult it can be to convince me that I'm wrong about something. I know how defensive I can get when people confront me and criticize me, even when they're right. But God can use a story to help me see truth about myself. Hard truth, but truth that I need to hear. And that's exactly what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 12. God sends his prophet Nathan to confront King David about a sin in David's life. Uh, King David uh, had slept with Bathsheba and Nathan comes to confront David and instead of, instead of coming in and, and yelling at David and telling him how wrong he is and what a bad choice he's made, Nathan tells David a story. And this is what he tells him. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It's a little gross, but you know, whatever. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the, against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are that man. And a few verses later, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David recognized the truth of what Nathan told him. That in this story, I am the villain. And he repented of his sin. Because stories say things out loud that are hard for us to hear. God chose poets and philosophers and actors and musicians and prophets to write the Bible. He used storytellers to put the mysteries of the universe, to put the mysteries of God's kingdom into words for us to read in our Bibles. And God still uses stories to get my attention. He still uses stories to teach me things about myself and about the world and about him. In the Chronicles of Narnia, I first understood what it meant that Jesus sacrificed himself for my sin. I got a taste of true fellowship and sharing one another's burdens when my dad read me the Lord of the Rings trilogy when I was a boy. When I first saw Star Wars, I believed that no one was beyond saving, not even Darth Vader. Jared Wilson, the author of the book The Storytelling God, says that only God can write a story that resonates, not just in the power of the imagination or the heart or the mind, but in the very soul. Only God can write a story that brings dead things to life. So this Thanksgiving, I want to thank God for his stories. And I want to listen to what he's trying to say to me in them. Good morning. Uh, My name is Travis White, and I'm one of the elders here as well, along with some of the other people speaking. Um, I was kind of torn between two things, so I'm going to talk a little bit about them both. Um, it's just the easiest way to settle it. Um, I am a planner. I'm somebody that likes to, I don't have to make the plan, but I need to be in on the plan in a lot of cases. I need to kind of know what's going on and have an idea of what my role is and that kind of a thing. And um, in general, that works well, but many of you know that about two months ago, my wife Marissa and I welcomed a little man named Owen Michael into the world, and he's been more or less spitting up in our plans for the last two months. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's been, it's been very, it's been very trying for me to have my day planned out and then this happens or that happens. I, obviously we love the guy and everything, but it's, that's, that's an adjustment for me personally. But, um, as I was writing this, I, or starting to write this, I was just kind of thinking like, as much as I want to know things, I'm not the right person to be equipped to know everything. I'm not, I don't, I, you know, I'm not always the right person for that kind of thing. So one of the things I am thankful for is that God is all-knowing. Um, and a couple of scriptures with that, Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and, might empower his, and mighty in power, his understanding has no limit. 
And 1 John 3.20 says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And I mean, who is better equipped to know everything that's going on and be able to handle it and be in control of it than God? And, you know, we live in a world where we see a lot of negative things and there's things that break our hearts that, you know, maybe we feel helpless about or maybe things that, oh, I didn't know anything about that. And it's reassuring to me to know that God does know and he's in control of those things, even if it's not something that I'm able to plan for or be a part of in in fixing it. Um, So that was one thing. And then the second thing is uh, I'm also thankful for God's love. Um, you know, in, in the Gospels, when Jesus is asked about, you know, which, which commandments are the greatest, the first two that he references are all about love, um, loving God and then loving others. And, you know, that's what we're called to do here. We're called to love people and have that relationship and use that to help bring more people to Jesus. And um, just my, one of my favorite sections of Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the chap, one of the chapters about love. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I think about that scripture a lot in my life about trying to love others, but as I was kind of going through this when I was writing this down this week, I was thinking more how I'm thankful that that's how God loves me. I don't always focus on that side of it. But, I mean, how awesome is it that, you know, we have a God that is patient with us and is going to not keep record of our wrongs? <laughs> I mean, all the things listed here, but, uh, you know, a God that always, that always protects us, always perseveres through us, no matter what's going on. So uh, those are the two things that I'm thankful for uh, this season. Good morning. I'm Jim Sagerman. <clears throat> Been going here since about 1982. Um, this morning, I want to thank God for His mercy and grace. Um, I don't know where I'd be without Him. So, um, He first led me to follow Him, to trust in Him. Um, then he, he led me to come to this church. Uh, been my home here for a long time now. Um, so I want to thank him for his mercy and grace this morning. I um, also want to thank him for his patience. Uh, done a lot of growing, a lot of stretching, uh, sometimes in the wrong ways, sometimes in the right ways. Um, I want to thank him for past leaders in this church. Um, a couple of them come to mind Reed Thompson John Josserin a couple real good godly men excellent examples of how to grow in Christ Uh, they teach you how to care about people they teach you how to love other people and uh, hopefully I've learned a little bit of that and uh, I just thank him for these men that I could follow. Um, and um, I want to thank him for blessing me with uh, a good son and a daughter-in-law and now two granddaughters. Um, about a month ago, we celebrated the <clears throat> first birthday 
of her uh, granddaughter Addison. And uh, tomorrow we celebrate uh, four years with Eleanor. Um, this morning was a real treat. We had uh, birthday cake and a couple of presents. So it's a pretty good day when you can have birthday cake for breakfast. <laughs> Um, Bill Cosby wasn't all wrong. <laughs> that was a really good skip by him. Um, so I kind of lived that out this morning. But um, I just want to thank you all for being part of Northwest and to helping me grow. And um, I just ask for patience from you also as well as from God. Thank you. Good morning. I'm going to sit down. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is I don't think I could stand in front of you and uh, be able to share what I want to share. Um, God has deliberately placed me in a lot of situations. And I think for the most part, he has put people in front of me that I needed in my life. This church is the greatest example of that. And even greater so, um, 34 years ago, I was blessed to be married to my wife, Cindy. And, you know, as we talk about um, things that are our better half, she truly is that person in my life. Um, um, I will tell you that I helped her raise uh, two amazing kids, and I have a son-in-law now, which is fantastic. Um, so I will tell you this, um, and I want to just end, um, what I have to say in a prayer, and I'd like for you to join me. So, my journey started with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live now, the life I live now, or live in the body, I have by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That really is what it's all about and where my sister shared that with me when I was 19. Um, I remember telling my mom that um, I had... Uh, joined the Christian church, and her response was, that's nice, pass the potatoes. <laughs> um, and not to say that my parents weren't wonderful people and raised me uh, in, a, in a wonderful way, and I love them for the values and morals that they instilled in me. Um, but obviously God had other plans for me uh, and how I am to act as a, as a man. So without further ado, if you would, please pray with me, and we'll just give thanks for what God's given us. Father, we just uh, come to you now with uh, thankful hearts for the ability to be here on a Sunday morning without trepidation or being worried what might happen to us when we walk out these doors. Father, I'm thankful for the leadership of this church, and I thank you for the examples that have been provided for me. Lord, I'm grateful for your grace and for your church family. 
Um, Father gives me opportunities to grow as a human being and as your son. Um, most of all, I thank you for Jesus. Without him, there is nothing. Father, I just uh, tell you that I love you, and I thank you for your son, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I'm Rob Gurton. I'm the worship director here, um, and I'm thankful for music. I think the earliest official mention of music in the Bible comes from the fourth chapter of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 4.21, we read of Jubal, who is described as the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. So the lyre would be some form of stringed instrument, and the pipe maybe something like a recorder or a flute. Now maybe I'm reading a bit more into the passage than was intended, but does that mean he invented these instruments? And does that mean that he invented music? Okay, so God invented the ears we use to hear and the sound waves. So God gets credit for inventing sound, but did this Jubal brother invent the human expression of music? And even if Jubal didn't invent music, who did? It's worth considering for a moment what life was like on earth before music. When uh, God created Eve for Adam, did Adam sing a love song? Not if Jubal invented music later on, <laughs> right? And when, when Cain and Abel had their first birthdays, did they sing their own version of happy birthday? When Cain and Abel brought their first offerings to God of crops and livestock, did they sing worship songs? And when Abel died, did they have songs to express their sorrow? Did they have a funeral without music? What would our lives be like today without music? What would your favorite movie be like without the orchestration and the soundtrack? You know, long before Jubal, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible says that God... Uh, walked in the garden among them in the cool of the day. It says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I like to think that the presence of God calling to them was like a song. Remember the verse in Zephaniah that talks about God singing over his people. And fast forward to the time of David in the Psalms. We have a rich history of music in the Psalms. Like Psalm 98, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and with the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Or Psalm 50, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So think about this with me. Maybe God established his relationship with mankind by singing to us in the garden. And then man continues that conversation by singing back to God. 
I just want to leave with this last thought. Jesus taught that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In our tradition, the restoration movement Christian churches, or at least in my experience in them, we tend to be kind of reserved. We're good at loving God with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. But Jesus wants us to love with all our hearts too. And I'm not sure how I would do that without music. We're going to do a little bit of singing uh, together. If you want to stand, we're going to have a a song of invitation. And uh, um, I know you heard uh, a lot of ideas and um, a lot of different scriptures. And um, man, if the the Spirit's moving you in some way and you want to pray or or you want to talk some more or learn some more about Jesus, we'd love to receive you down front uh, as the worship team's coming up. Um, uh, I'm... I'm really grateful for uh, all, all the people that shared. That can be kind of a tough thing. Would you, would you thank them for? And uh, now let's, uh, let's sing together.